0: You're listening to It's Good to Be a Man, the podcast where we are extending God's house and father rule by helping men to establish their own house in strength, skill, and wisdom. This is our first episode of It's Good to Be a Man podcast, but we're calling it episode zero as it's more of an introduction to the project. The project is directed by myself, Michael Foster, and my co-producer, Non Tenet. Non and I have been internet friends for a while and share a lot of common theological and cultural interests. We actually uh, spent some time together just a few weeks ago in Bloomington, Indiana, Last year, we discovered that we each had been doing a ton of research and reading on manhood and masculinity, so we decided to partner on this project. Just a little personal background, I've been married for 16 years to Emily. God has blessed us with seven children, four boys and three girls. One is in heaven. The rest live with us in South Carolina, where I serve as an associate pastor at a Presbyterian church. Nan's been married to his wife, Sarah, for 13 years. I think they have four kids. I hope that's right. They reside on the other side of the globe in New Zealand, also known as Middle Earth. Nan's a Baptist, which is a good segue. This is a Christian podcast. More specifically, it's a Protestant podcast, and we're going to try to attempt to stay as broadly Protestant as we can. We're not ashamed of our theological particularities. Uh, We both are reformed in our theological thinking, uh, but we hope that this content will be helpful to all the branches of the church. The project gets its name from the book of Genesis. In chapter 1, verse 27, it says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. And then down in verse 31, it says, God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. So, binary sexuality, male and female, is part of God's good design. That's why we say it's good to be a man. Yeah, it's, it's also good to be a woman. Each person needs to embrace the goodness of their God-assigned sex. If you're a man, be masculine. If you're a woman, be feminine. Be whatever God made you. Now, this project focuses on the male side of sexuality, hence it's good to be a man. We do hope to get around to the female side of things eventually, and we will certainly have to touch on it within the scope of the project, but for the moment, we are primarily focused on men's issues. So again, this is a project for men, by men. We aren't interested merely in morality, being a good man. But also inability, being good at being a man. And if you go to our website, it's good to a man.com, you'll see our stated mission. This is a project by and for Christian men seeking a positive and practical doctrine of manhood. Our goal is to become better at our work of dominion, rightly ordering ourselves and our world by developing those virtues and skills necessary to this task. So we hope to enfold what all that means through this podcast, the website, the Facebook group, and, uh, Lord willing, a book, but one step at a time. Now, let me explain to you the genesis of this project, how it came to be. So I've been in the ministry most of my adult life. I I converted to Christianity in 1997. I was immediately made a youth, junior high youth leader. I was a youth pastor or youth leader for six years. I directed a parachurch group for two years. I was a church planner for three years. I've been in and out of the ministry in one way or another really my whole life, mostly bivocational, uh, really been bivocational just until the last year and a half. But um, most of my ministries have been involved with younger people. And due to that, my network is full of men in their twenties and thirties, and I've stayed loosely connected to a lot of these guys. And I'm not hard to find online. I've been on you know Twitter, Facebook, Periscope. I've had websites, I've been really visible for a long time. So they'll reach out to me, and uh, and I think they do so because of two reasons. One, the positional leadership I had in early life, but also they know that I have. A deep and abiding interest in all things sexuality. Uh, in 1999, I took an anthropology class at Northern Kentucky University, and uh, that kind of really got me thinking on 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 these issues. What does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a woman? what What's the structure of society? What's um? How do we think about polygamy? How do we think about uh, fatherhood, motherhood? How do we think about coitus, what, what causes homosexuality, all those sorts of things I started thinking about and I've, I've been interested in for a long time and I've been very, very open about my interest in those things. So these guys knew that I, I, I like this stuff. I like to talk about this stuff. I like to think about it and they would call me up and usually their questions revolved around dating, marriage, sex, and children. So as the years have gone by, I found it harder and harder to answer many of their questions. And it's not that their questions have in themselves uh, got, they're not harder. The issue is that I started to sense a real generational riff, that they were dealing with things that I didn't deal with. You know, my advice was from and for an increasingly different world. Now, what was behind the differences between me and these guys. I think part of it is that my wife and I are late Gen Xers or the first of the millennials, sometimes called Xenials, all these irritating generational names. Uh, We were born in that gray area between generations. And I would say we were born between digital and analog. We're a generation that's in between those two worlds. We, We know what it's like to live in an analog world, a world where, Phones have cords, and the internet's been a major part of your life. And if you miss a TV show, you have to wait till it re- reruns during the summer. You can't just do on-demand stuff. Um, so most of our maturation happened uh, prior to the internet really taking off, and in mobile devices. You know, mobile devices are like Zach from uh, what is it called? Saved by the Bell. He's got that gigantic phone. So we. We were well into our 20s when social media, free internet porn, connected gaming, all that stuff took off after we were adults. My wife and I met at a weekly Bible study while we both were still in high school. We got to know each other slowly through those Bible studies. It wasn't love at first sight or any of that nonsense. I don't even remember the first time I met her, neither does she. We got to know each other very slowly, and I would uh, call her on the phone and talk to her. I was uh, from a very poor family in southern Indiana. She lived in eastern Ohio outside of Cincinnati. It's a sort of tri-state area. So I would drive uh, in my pickup truck over to Kentucky and call her from a pay phone because it wasn't uh, long distance there. That's how we got to know each other. We also wrote letters. We've got two or 300 letters we wrote back and forth. You know, people don't really do that anymore. <laughs> I was her first real boyfriend. She had some boyfriends in middle school, but nothing significant. Uh, she was... My fourth or fifth girlfriend, we married before finishing college. Uh, We didn't have sex until marriage. Uh, It wasn't easy. A lot of cold showers. It was very difficult, but we held off. So our experience is very different from people just a couple years younger than us. Our view of sex wasn't shaped by porn. There was no sexting. I mean, porn, for me, growing up, meant looking at a VHS tape, that was under, underneath some guy's dad's bed, or you would find a magazine on a railroad track. There was no easy way to get porn. We didn't have social media, and so we didn't think there was unlimited partners out there. Basically, you met people in your town, and those were the people you could date. Uh, You know, every once in a while, there was a guy that dated a girl from another high school, but we often thought that guy had made that girl up, (laughs) that there was no girl. He was just lying. Now, I was that guy. I dated a girl from another high school, but she was real, and I've got seven kids to prove it. (laughs) Anyway, uh, we didn't have that idea of unlimited partners, and you get that idea through Instagram, through Tinder, through online dating, just that there's all these people that could be your potential spouse, so you you delay and delay, always holding out for a better a better spouse, and that's that's more particular to women than it is to men, due to uh, something called hypergamy. We'll talk about that some other time. But uh, that didn't affect us at all, and there was connected gaming didn't distract me. I mean, I played Tony Hawk Pro Skater two quite a bit uh, my freshman year in college, but I think SOCOM was the first connected game that I remember that came out. But that was, I, I'd been married for a while, so that had to be like 2004. So there was this, you didn't get lost in the social side of gaming because it required people to come over and you guys to sit, or sit down on the same couch. There was no social media that was puffing up Emily's pride. You know, women become vain through all the likes and shares and retweets and hearts and comments that they get on their social media that drives up their their view of themselves, where they have a, a higher than justified estimation of, of their beauty. That, none of that stuff was around. So my advice that I was giving these guys was dated. The world I grew up in is gone. It was already crumbling due to the sexual revolution that exploded in the 60s. But that, that goes back to first wave feminism at least and we've seen it come into the church much earlier than that, but it, it really took deep root in our culture in the 60s and, um, and got worse and worse. No fault divorce, 1969, birth control, the pill comes to fruition around the same time, and that stuff's to spread. Uh, but the internet and mobile devices really sped things up. And the shift in intersectional dynamics has been massive. I mean, it is massive. It's, it's bigger than I ever realized. And it wasn't until I started to really dig into this issue that I realized how significant of a difference there is between people a little bit older than me and people a little bit younger than me. It's just the, that world that they're from uh, isn't around anymore. And this is causing a lot of trouble because a lot of the pastors are, are boomers. There's some Gen X pastors out there, but these are boomer pastors or the people that are in power right now, and, and they're giving advice to young people younger people that just does not match the situation. Young people are, are facing a, a massively jacked up relational marketplace. I mean, feminism has sought to normalize androgyny, and that's been mainstreamed through media, through to schools. And consequently, we've created a mass of effeminate men, men that are like chicks. Effeminate man is a A woman without a womb. And then we've got all these brash women, these women that have been taught that to be independent and to be strong, to be like a man. I always tell people, you can see how messed up things are. My advice that I give men, you can find that on any women's magazine, right? I'm usually telling guys that, you know, you got to be strong, you got to be independent, you got to be focused on your vocation and your career You know, don't let things get in your way. Well, that's like on the cover of every woman's magazine out there. And this is, so we got these weak men and we've got these brash women. And so for those that, those guys, especially that say, look, I don't want to be weak anymore. I want to be a man and I want to find a real woman. Well, finding a spouse is hard for those guys. It's not easy at all. It is scorched earth. So a lot of these guys that call me have turned to what I would call a secular response to this situation. Hence, I I started to research the thinkers, guys like Jordan Peterson, and that led me to what's called the Manosphere. It's a loose connection of blogs, sites, channels that speak to men's issues. Some of it is rooted in the PUA, the pickup artists. Um, Some of it's this red pill. Christian or Red Pill stuff, there's Red Pill secular stuff, Red Pill Christians, there was a Red Pill Reddit that got quarantined by Reddit. Uh, so there's a lot of different guys in that space that I've read, and I wanted to read them to figure out why, why were they so appealing? Why are these young men going to these guys? And I think the appeal of much of the manosphere and the secular response to feminism is that they're simply seeking to offer solutions to the actual problems that men are facing right now. Most churches are ignorant of these problems and many willfully so. I mean, I was ignorant, but not willfully so. I just didn't realize it. And and many churches are compromised to feminism and egalitarianism. So men realize that they have a problem, but the church has no solution. So they turn to the internet. That's where they learn how to change the oil on uh, their car. That's how they learn to do a half Windsor knot on their tie. Maybe they can figure out how to be a man from YouTube and Reddit and Twitter as well. And so that's where this younger generation going. And the problem is, is the internet is full of a bunch of Absaloms. If you remember in Second Samuel chapter 15, uh, one way that Absalom stole the kingdom from his father, he'd sit at the city's gates and anytime a young man would come come through there, he would say, hey, come over here. Tell me your case. I'm for you. I'll hear you. And he'll say, yeah, if I was, if I was king, I'd make sure that didn't happen. And by doing that, he stole the heart, the heart of Israel. From David, and that's what we have. We have lots of Absaloms out there that are saying, "I hear you. Yeah, it's rough. I identify with you. I'm for you. I'm in your. I'm in your corner." And so these these men are being helped by these guys, but the help is riddled with a lot of secular, anti-biblical thinking and worldview. So our desire at It's Good to Be a Man is to run a sort of counter-offensive to both feminism, but also the pagan response. Uh, Both are destructive in different ways in that they both fail to deal with reality. Now, I have to admit that I do think that a lot of the pagan, non-Christian response to feminism is more helpful than the church's um, response to feminism because the pagans understand the importance of the body they don't understand the importance of the spirit. Nay, they, they, that's where they go awry. They have no doctrine of the spirit, and the human is a spirit-body composite. But the church doesn't recognize that anymore. The church has been overwhelmed by gnosticism—the idea that the body is somehow innately corrupted, and that matter is bad. So they don't—they don't like to think about people in terms of sexuality, male or female. They don't talk about the differences, the distinctions between the sexes. They're very androgynous in their approach to everything. So these young men listen to these non-Christian speakers and teachers and YouTubers and authors, and their advice actually works because those non-Christians have looked at the created world and from it deduced some design principles. Here's how men work. Here's how women work. And since the world is made by God, there's order and they're just discovering God's created order and they'll ascribe it to evolution or psychological archetypes, I, I you know, whatever. They won't, they won't give God the credit, but that's what they're, they're doing. So we want to recapture a doctrine of the body. We want to teach that in light of the current circumstances that people find themselves in, that men find themselves in. And that's the goal of the ministry. That's what we're going to try to do through the podcast. The early podcast episodes are going to be very foundational. The format will vary a little bit. Sometimes it'll just be me. Sometimes it'll just be non. Sometimes it'll be us together. Sometimes it'll be heavy on the theology. Sometimes heavy on practicality. We'll do interviews here and there. The goal for us is to build both a positive and practical doctrine of manhood So uh, we'll be going through some pretty basic stuff in the first 20 or so episodes. You know, what does it mean to, how do you become a man? How do you become a husband? How do you become a father? How do you build a household? We want everything to be uh, rooted in Scripture and extremely helpful, but also uh, aware of the circumstances that guys are in. So we want to apply Scripture to the time that God has placed us sovereignly. You can keep up with us by subscribing to the podcast by also going to uh, my Twitter, which is uh, this is Foster. You can also go to the Facebook group, which is facebook.com forward slash it's good to be a man. The website is it's good to be a man dot com We also have a patreon it's uh it's good to be a man. We appreciate any giving all the money uh, that we receive through Patreon we're putting back into the production. Uh, into the creation of content. So hopefully you'll get that money back tenfold. We really appreciate that. Well, thanks for listening. Hopefully that gives you a little bit of background on the project and where we're hoping to take it. So until next time, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, and be strong.